0: If you would uh, pray, pray with me. God, we love you. And we know that the only way we can love you is that you loved us first. That you sent Jesus. That he gave us his spirit. That it awakened our hearts to love. You are the object of our love. You are the source and power of our love. God, we need you. Be present. May your spirit be present, working in our hearts, speaking through your word, reminding us of your goodness. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I almost, uh, almost never do this, and thus I think have never said this. Uh, but I was moving in a completely different direction with this sermon until Friday morning, um, and. When I say completely different, I, that, that's probably not right. Uh, the, the, the right way to say it is that um, it wasn't complete. Um, the things that I was meditating on, the things that I was preparing um, didn't seem right, I think, uh, in light of what, what happened, what was happening. Uh, and, and, and God just drew my heart uh, to a few things, thinking about joy. I mean, it's a, it's a topical sermon, which is already difficult for me. I, I like to be rooted in a text, and I prefer that text to be chosen for me, um, and so that I can just go to it and let it work, and then just tell you what it was doing. You know, um, Tell you how it impacted me as I meditated on it through the week. Uh, And so I'm thinking about joy, and all of these truths are are coming to light, and then Friday happened, and uh, God drew my heart to John 11, which you can turn there, we're going to be spending uh, the vast majority of the time in John 11, Uh, but then also to uh, the psalmist David in Psalm 16, Uh, and he says this, that, uh, and look, there's one slide, so you're going to have to turn in your Bibles, Um, all of it kind of shifted on Friday, like I said, and um, <clears throat> but in Psalm 16, in verse 11, uh, it's the last verse of the psalm. David, the psalmist, says that uh, you lead me on the path of life, and that path of life leads to to God. Leads to God, and we know this because he continues in 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 Psalm 16:11, and he says, "In your presence is the fullness of joy." And in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I was just struck by this this notion that in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And it was something that I was going to talk about. I was going to make the point that joy belongs to God. And that he gives it to us. And that he allows us to enter into it. Uh, Jesus tells a parable of of some men who were entrusted with money, and three men were entrusted with money. Two of them invest that money and make returns on it, and the master says to them, Well done, enter now into my joy. He invites them to enter into his joy, and, and essentially what David is saying in Psalm 1611 is that God leads him on this path to life, life leads him to God, life is only found in God, and we'll say in Jesus soon, but for David, uh, that's, that's a bit anachronistic to say that. Life, uh, the path of life leads David to God, and in God is the fullness of joy and when I thought of that term fullness I was struck by a term that we use for so many things but that I hadn't used for joy yet um, and it's the term already but not yet we experience things already but not yet in its fullness let me explain to you that um, Why is it that in the presence of God there is fullness of joy? Because there's no sin. There's no effect of the curse to blanket, to veil our eyes from the truth of God. And so there is fullness of joy because there is nothing stealing joy away. And so as believers, we are in the already but not yet. We have God with us. But as Paul talks about in Romans 7, we have, we have the curse in us too. We have the old Adam and the second Adam living in us. And so we see only glimpses of joy in, in, in a way that C.S. Lewis would say, it said it in the weight of glory. The joy that we see now, is like the scent of a flower that we've not yet discovered. It's just a shadow. And so we get bursts of joy, we get scents, shadows, glimmers of joy, but we do not get the fullness of joy yet, because the fullness of God has not yet been revealed. And so it's appropriate to ask, and this was the question that I hadn't asked, What does joy look like in the face of such destruction, such sorrow? And that question was different for me because if if joy is tied to the presence of God, then I realized to ask what does joy look like in the presence of sorrow is to ask what does it look like to experience God or even where is God um, in all of this? And, and that question is not inappropriate even for a person who follows Christ to ask in so much as we look to the right places to find the answer. Um, so like I said, my heart was drawn thinking about joy to John 11 So turn to John 11 and if you will stand with me and I'm I'm going to read it's a it's a large portion of scripture but it's a story so hopefully that will yeah help Now a certain man was ill Lazarus of Bethany The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he, Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? But they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply troubled, in his spirit greatly moved. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they might believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to, him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, You can be seated. Uh, If you see, the title of the sermon was and is still um, Joy, Promised and Realized, uh, and And we're going to look a little bit at that, the promises of God and the realization of those promises as we walk through the story. So um, just to reacquaint you with what's happening, because that was a long text, uh, a man named Lazarus who lived in a town called Bethany outside of Jerusalem uh, was sick, deathly sick. It was evident that this sickness was Quite probably terminal. He was the brother of Mary and Martha. And we've, we've already seen Mary and Martha. If you remember, Martha is the one busy working while Jesus is sitting there. And she gets a little perturbed because her sister Mary is just sitting at his feet. Mary is the one, as Scripture says here, who was wiping uh, the feet of Jesus with her hair and ointment. They know Jesus. They're as close to Jesus as many people, perhaps as anyone who is not a disciple. They loved Jesus and Jesus loved them. And their brother was sick. They told him that. The sister sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one that you love, Lazarus, our brother, he's sick. He's going to die. Please come. That's not in the text, but it's implicit. Please come. They prayed to him. And we've all been in situations where a loved one is sick. And we call for meetings of prayer. Where the elders anoint someone with oil and pray over them. or we gather together as a body or we remember in the beginning of the service to pray for one who is hurting, who is sick, who is dying. And what's our prayer? If we're honest, what is our prayer? It's God, come, show up right here, right now. Do something big. We want a miracle. This person will die if you don't show up. So Lord God, show up. And this is a right prayer. This is a good prayer to ask. And Jesus hears this prayer. Jesus hears this request on their part. And he says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Um, this illness does not lead to death is the ESV translation. Perhaps a better translation is this sickness does not end in death. That lead there is is an ultimate lead. This illness does not ultimately lead to death. Jesus speaks that word. He makes a promise to them. Whatever is happening here, the end of it is not death. But instead, whatever is happening here will be for the glory of God so that the power and the glory of God may be revealed through it. So what does that sound like? This sickness doesn't end in death. Jesus must be coming. And He's going to heal our brother. And He's going to receive glory through it. And isn't that what we pray? God, heal this person for your glory. Isn't that what we hope for? And sometimes it does happen. And when it happens, we feel tangibly the presence of God and there's joy. But... This story is not like those stories yet. Perhaps the most confusing verse, in, or two verses, I should say, in all of Scripture is right here for me. It's verse six and verse seven, or sorry, verse five and verse six. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister, and Lazarus. So, hear that. Out of his deep love for them, and what you expect to hear is, he ran as quickly as he could to Bethany, to their house, to bring healing. But what does the scripture say? So when he heard that Lazarus is ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why? Why? Why does Jesus do this? He's already told us. For the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's another reason, but we're going to get to that at the very end. Well, penultimate. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea. So now they don't just not go, they go further away. er, Sorry, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So then they go back into Judea. The disciples say to him, Rabbi, the Jews were seeking to stone you. You're going there again. You're going to risk your life to go in there. He says, don't worry about it. There's a lot to be read in that text. It's not really the point right now. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. And right away we see Jesus' perspective on death is so much different than a human, a mere human, his disciples' perspective on death. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they're like, well, cool, he's going to wake up. That's what people do, Jesus. Why are we going to get stoned again? Like, they just don't get it. Like he set his alarm clock, he'll get up. But the Bible tells us Jesus wasn't talking about sleep. So Jesus has to spell it out to them. No, no, no. A friend Lazarus is dead. That sickness, he didn't get better. He died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Jesus doesn't say very many easy things. I think as as believers, we like to try and make Jesus sayings like bite-sized, digestible, easy, likable, right? This is not a likable or easy thing. Especially when we think about it out of the context of this story. And in the context of the world and the events that we have seen and see every day. I'm glad that I wasn't there. You Guys get what he's saying, right? I'm glad that I wasn't there because if I was there, I would have healed him. And if I had healed him, he would not have died. One step further. I'm glad that he died so that you could see my glory. Now when you hear that, you have to root it in what was said before. Verse 6, Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved the disciples. out of his love, he wants them to see and believe. And so Jesus says, let us go to him. And so the disciples, Thomas particularly, called the twin, says to the disciples, all right, let's go to Jesus. Because if he goes, he's going to die. So let's go so that we can at least die with him. So they go. And they think that Jesus is mourning. They think that he's sorrowful. And then Jesus gets outside of the town. And who greets him? Martha. Martha, the one who just lost her brother, runs outside the gates to meet Jesus. And says to him what any of us would say. And says to him what 40 or so parents are saying this morning. What the entire nation, in fact, may be asking. What parents all around the world. You know, like it is tragedy. It is tragic what happened and since we've started in several nations around the world more than 20 children have died from starvation and preventable diseases one does not negate the other but both are tragic and so all around the world there are parents grieving we hear prayer requests of parents whose daughter has cancer and doctors are trying to figure out what to do we we, we are in a context within our congregation. Our loved family sees this on a daily basis. And so Martha runs. And you, you know Martha's attitude already based on what happened uh, in the house, the way she was to Mary. Based on what she says to Jesus. You know her attitude is this. She's she's confused, she's hurt, and she's a little bit angry. And she runs out to Jesus and says, Jesus, where were you? Where are you in all of this? We've seen what you've done. We've heard what people have said you've done. We've heard what you yourself say you are. And you weren't here. And now... My brother is dead. Just listen. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knows. She's not confused about the power that Jesus holds. She's one of those people who hear, could God have stopped this? And knows the answer is yes. And becomes infuriated. Why not? Why didn't he? So we see the first aspect come right here of Jesus in in, in grief and in and in this situation. We see the truth of Jesus. Jesus reminds her. He says, Your brother will rise again. Remember what I promised you? Remember what I said? This sickness doesn't end in death. This illness does not ultimately lead to death. Your brother will rise again and Martha is now super spiritual, super theological. Yeah, I get it. I get it. In that last day that we keep talking about, yeah, he's going to rise again and things will be great then. But what about now? And, and I feel this way a lot and I, and I feel this way because of the somewhat troubling and i'm not going to take time to go into it but the somewhat troubling uh, view of salvation and the end times that we have as believers that essentially relegates the salvation of god to something that's coming later you're saved well you're going to have to live through hell now and everything will get good when you die The world is just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. God's going to do this. And God's going to say, you know what? I warned you. I tried. And then at some point, when it's too bad for anyone to bear, God will come back and say, all right, everybody. Come with me to heaven. And Martha is saying, well, what about right now? I get it. He's going to be raised in the last day. Whenever that is. But right now my heart is broken, Jesus. Right now, I am not going to see my brother ever again. Right now, we are grieving. And there is a void that we cannot fill or understand. And Jesus says this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you? Do you believe the words and the promises of Jesus? Believe in me, and you'll live. And even if you die, you will live again. She says she believes that he's the Christ, the Son of God who's coming in the world. That's an amazing confession right there. In her grief, by remembering the promises of God and by believing the promise of Jesus, she is able to confess that God, Jesus is the Christ. God with us. Emmanuel the promised Messiah. And so after Jesus counsels Martha in truth, Martha goes and gets Mary. And now we all know that Mary's spirit is very different from Martha. Isn't there even a book, like having a Mary's spirit? I don't know. Um, I think so, but I don't think I was intended to read it. So, uh, But there's just no way to to deny that. And Jesus knows that. And the reason I know that Jesus knows that is because Mary comes, all right? So we've got this part where word gets to Mary. Jesus is here. The teacher is here. He wants to see you. Mary gets up, says, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to see him. And her spirit, I think, was different. I think she said it with less anger, more confusion. But it is worth noting that she says the exact same thing. Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And the reaction of Jesus is markedly different. With Martha, who needs it, he gives truth. Firm, solid truth. And with Mary, we see in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus grieved with Mary the way she was grieving. Jesus is the perfect counselor. Look, many of you right now are experiencing grief. And you're trying to figure out how this works. You're trying to figure out where God is. What, and you're asking these questions. And I want you to know Jesus meets you exactly where you are. Martha needed truth. So Jesus knew that and gave it to her. Mary needed tears. I'm someone who needs truth. I need just to be reminded of the truth. My wife is someone who needs tears. She needs someone to cry with her and to hold her. And Jesus does both. He is the perfect counselor. He is what no pastor can be because he knows deeply. John has already covered this at the end of chapter two. Jesus knows what's in a man. He knows what makes up the heart of men and women. He knows who you are. And so he knows how you grieve and he knows what you need and he knows your brokenness and he meets you where you are. Whether it's truth or tears, Jesus gives it. And they see Jesus weeping and they say, See how he loved him. All right, and so now we've got this different group of people. Um, See how he loved them loved him, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I think in the mix of this crowd, there's a there's a difference of opinion here on what Jesus could and couldn't do, what God was capable and not capable of doing. Could God have stopped this from happening? Right, and and let me just say this. There are a lot of questions that you can ask that have no good answers. There's no... There's no, and when I say no good answers, what I mean is there's no answer that when you hear it, your heart says, oh, good. Because the answer to that is either he could have stopped it and didn't, or he couldn't stop it at all. And neither of those meet what we want to hear. Neither of those are satisfying. And you know, we're actually, as a nation, we're kind of asking the same questions about this. What could have stopped this? Could we have stopped this? What should have been done? Why wasn't it done? Essentially, who do we blame? I mean, we know one person, but ultimately, who do we blame? Let's let's read on. Some of them said, could not he who opened the the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. All right, um, Greek grammar is very hard to translate, so I'm I'm, I'm very difficult to translate in a satisfying way. So I'm going to do my best to... To explain sort of the nuance in this that American syntax or English syntax I should say just doesn't allow for um, this is all happening simultaneously. Jesus is coming to the grave. He's moving. He's he's approaching the tomb. He's seeing the tomb, and at the same time, he's deeply moved. Now, this movement that is deep within him, uh, we saw we saw that he was moved with Mary. He was troubled at her weeping. He felt sorrow. And he wept. This deeply moved is a different kind of deeply moved. This is anger. Jesus here is angry. That deep moving of his spirit is a movement to anger. And this is the process that we all, uh, on, on Friday morning, at first it was grief. Unbelievable grief at the thought. And then it was anger for me. Anger. And as a nation or people, generally speaking, it's hard to, in this case, speak as a unified nation. But as you hear people, you hear that grief, you hear that anger, and they want to be angry at something. And they're angry at all the wrong things. They're angry at procedures that didn't prevent this. They're angry at a lack of provision for, for mental illness. Both things we need. They're angry at guns. They're angry at the government. They're angry at the parents of this person. They're angry. And Jesus comes and He feels anger. But notice that His anger isn't stirred up until what? Until He sees the tomb. Jesus is angry. He's angry at death. He is angry at sin. He is angry at the curse. He is angry at the right things. And Jesus, because he is angry at the right things, and perfectly so, acts in his anger and in his sorrow and in his truth. He says, take the stone away. Martha says, look, he's been in there for four days. It's not a great idea. It's going to stink. We're going to have to relive it. She says again, truth, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe You sent me. When he said these things, he said, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus, all wrapped up, comes out. Jesus tells them to unbind him. We see the power of Jesus. In this moment, Jesus makes himself ever present. I'm the resurrection and the life, and I can do it now. And he goes in and in his truth, through his tears, in his in his anger, he moves. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. And that's where we like to end the story. In fact, that's where we stopped reading, but you have to see what's next. Many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary had seen what he did and believed him, but Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation. Caiaphas doesn't even understand what he's saying. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation also, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So, from that Day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus raised Lazarus at a very high cost. If we stop the story too early, we don't see what happens because of what he did. And trust me, Jesus knows the repercussions of what he's about to do. Jesus realizes, once I raise Lazarus from the dead, that's it for me. That's it. This is going to lead me to the cross. Resurrection leads Jesus to the cross. And we see the grace of God, the grace of Jesus, that he died on the cross to raise Lazarus. We see the grace of Jesus. And herein, we see this ultimate truth that will bring us joy. Because Christ went to the cross, because God raised him from the dead, we will see resurrection you guys, the rest of Lazarus' story doesn't play out, but we all know how it plays out. Like this isn't an ultimate, this is more revivification than resurrection. Lazarus dies. Lazarus isn't still walking about the earth. He's dead. But in this moment, Jesus shows us this. That the sickness does not end in death. Now hear me, that does not mean that death isn't a point on the road. It means that ultimately, this will not end in death. And so we look and we see death, and we can't make sense of it. But we know this. That Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection has said that this is not the story. This is not how it ends. This is not the end of things. Death is not the end. There is life and there is life forevermore in him. This This is how this entire story ends. In Revelation 21, how does it end? Jesus has made all things new. Not all things new, or not all new things, all things new. You've heard this before. Jesus is making all things new. That's resurrection. One day. And I I know this with certainty. Those little children. And those children around the world who have died. And our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep. And our brothers and sisters who grieve around the world. One day. God will make things new. And he will wipe away the tears from their eyes. He will bring the fullness of his presence. In Revelation 21, he makes all things new. And then, he said, and then the Bible says that he takes out evil once and for all. You know, there are some people who are trying to preach that there is no hell. Well, without the eradication of the presence of evil, ultimately and forever, the fullness of joy will not be experienced. So I praise God that there is hell. And I hope that all believe so that none see it. but he wipes out all evil, all death. He brings the fullness of joy. And we who believe, those of you who believe, will have it. He brings his kingdom. And there is no murder. There's no illness. There's no death. There's no grieving parents. There are no broken people. God wipes away the tears from everyone's eyes. The question is, will you believe that? And the response is simple. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.